episode of Generation Literature. I'm here with my fantastic literary forebear, my mum. Say hello, mum. Hello, mum. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Ah. Uh, how you doing, mum? I'm pretty good, George. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I'm reading a fantastic book lately. Are you? Yes, it's called Pussy, King of the Pirates. <laughs> okay, and I'm guessing it's got nothing to do with cats. Um, remains to be seen. I'm early on yet. They could make a third act appearance. Uh, it's by Kathy Ackers. It is a um, very transgressive novel. And I mean that in like a... a literal literary sense like there are so many sentences that end in ways that are obtuse and sort of like non-logical but very evocative uh-huh. and so it 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 sort of works you know i'm sort of into it i'm like ah you you rebel you've done it again but this is the first i've read from kathy acker i'm really into it uh it's got a bit of a, a vibe of a Greek chorus about it. There's a lot of um, what uh, what did they call it in opera? Park and bark, uh, park. where you oh, arrive. Oh yeah, the, the and, old park and bark. Nothing to do with yeah. You <laughs> arrive and monologue at the audience ad nauseum. Park and bark, um, or in opera, you know, they would be doing a solo. But um, yeah, well, it's a it's a really It's a really interesting storytelling mechanism. I have to say, George, something I have always admired about you, especially regarding your reading habits, is that even when something is different or, you know, not something you're used to reading and the style is quite different to something you're used to reading, you still persist and, and see what you can get out of it. I tend to get a bit sort of frustrated at that point and go, hmm. I don't know. This doesn't have a happy ending. This doesn't have clear <laughs> plot, and I don't know who the characters are. So I'm not. I mean, put it down. It's stupid. It's like that. What was that book? Um, the boy who drew monsters. You remember that one? Yes. Oh my gosh, I love that book. I I couldn't finish it. It was too scary. Yeah. Well, I, I, still... I don't think that's anything against your reading habits, Mum. You know that's. I have put down books for being too scary before, for sure. And yeah. uh, I don't know that I will ever return to them. And that's okay. You know, that's, we are within our rights. True and also, enough. you're within your rights. I think I have only just recently gained that skill, the ability to be experiencing a book and recognize that I am not enjoying myself or I don't really understand what's happening in the greater like narrative um i'll just put it down because you know you have limited time yeah take take any books like that walk them to a public free library you know let someone else give it a try set them free set them free yeah set yourself free too i mean sometimes i do try well i haven't done it for a long time i'll be honest but in the past i have almost sort of given myself a personal challenge where I've taken a book that I know a lot of people say, oh, this is amazing, you really have to read this, or or sort of in the literary world it's held up as something fantastic and I've forced myself oh, yeah. to read it. Um, 
but I haven't done that for a long time. I'll be honest. Although yeah, I sometimes the book hype gets you, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I haven't attempted War and Peace or uh, Anna Karenina. I did try <laughs> Anna Karenina at one point, but I don't think I got past the first page. But I am trying something new that you gave me at Christmas time. Your Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Ah, yeah. Piranesi. Pir- or Piranesi. I actually, I Nessie haven't heard it said out loud, so it could be either one. Yeah, well. I adore that book. What are you thinking of it so far? Don't well, worry, you can be brutally honest. Well, so I've only read a few pages because I've been trying to read it since Christmas and, um, you know, my brain hasn't been in the right place. But, uh, so started part one um, and I am, it is going to be a challenge for me to persevere because just in the first few pages, it's a lot, a lot of description and, you know, adjectives coming out the wazoo and... <laughs> you know, I've had to go back and reread to make sure that I understood it correctly. Um, yeah. But I think, so I've got the idea that it's about, you know, it's a journal from this person who's traveling to different parts of this, you know, imaginary kingdom, you know, that's divided into north, south, east and west regions and halls. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like I say, I've only read a few pages um, and there has been some, you know, like the stuff with the water right at the beginning. Yeah. Where the character has to grab hold so they don't get washed away. Yeah, um, yeah. the meeting of the many different waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's quite, you know, um, quite dramatic. So that sort of holds my attention. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you know how it goes because I'm going to keep keep going. Yeah, I think, you know, not to not to tread near any spoilers. I uh there's definitely more of that where that came from, but you uh-huh. do have to get through quite a bit of exposition to get there just because the the world is so different. Yeah. Um, and it's very it is very um very detailed, I think, the writing. Mhm. You know. And also, you know, I did read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, which she also wrote. So I oh, figure, yeah. you know, even though that was obviously a different story, the style, I think in individual authors have sort of similar styles, even if their subject matter changes. Definitely. So, I, like I say, I'll, I'll persevere. We'll see. At the moment, it's a bit yeah. tough, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> Soldier on, mum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, I have to actually have to read um, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell as well. I was mm. intimidated by the size of it, um, but I I want to stay on Piranesi because it sort of relates to what we're talking about today, doesn't it? Yes, we're Excuse talking me. about the the larger origin of the Greek myth. Um, Piranesi is obviously heavily inspired by that. Um, as are a number of stories in the modern canon. Um, oh, know, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang oh. on. <laughs> hang on what? I don't want oh, to... Oh, don't I... worry, I'm not spoiling anything. No, I don't want to cut off your uh, intro there, which was going really uh, fluidly. So, you know, obviously I was going to cut oh, you off. Oh, good. But... Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we got to keep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember we did say the focus today, like, because last time we were talking about... Uh, what did we talk about last time? 
why we like. We were na- talking about audiobooks. Audiobooks. We talked about audiobooks, and then you know how narratives come across as audiobooks, whether that's a valid form of reading, and then we were going to. Today's actual topic was going to be starting with uh, the origin of the narrative, right? Where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. And the origin of the Greek myth. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what I was getting at. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me me set you up for the alley-oop. All right, do it. No, it's fine. No, no, it's too late now. (laughs) Have I screwed you over? Sorry, mate. (laughs) We we jumped into each other in midair, fell to the ground. We're rolling around. I'm I'm grabbing my my knee. You're deaf. You're definitely getting a foul for this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. I'm just teasing. Okay. Um, actually, but with that clarification, yeah, talk to me about the origin of narrative. Go let's let's go a little wide scope. You know, we like to take it from the past through the present to the future. So let's look back. Where sure. are we sort of starting here? Well, so it depends how you um, depends how you consider it but uh historically speaking people have always told told stories since the beginning of time um you know storytelling is without wanting to sound uh predictable but it's as old as civilization itself um the first stories that were ever discovered were you know cave paintings where people drew pictures to record their own stories, the stories of their lives and their experiences. Um, And that was about 30,000 years ago. Oh. Um, No, not... I remember. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah. 30,000 years BC, actually. Not 30,000 years ago. 30,000 years BC. So it was a long time ago, right? I mean, that's like... 32,000 years. Yeah, there you go. Um, But then we sort of, you know, because people hadn't started writing things down at that point. And then, of course, we jump forward way, way, way ahead to 2700 BC. And um, the first recognised written narrative was called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which I have to admit uh, I'm yeah. not terribly familiar with. But uh, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a long poem. It was written, you know, uh, as poetry. And it was about uh, this <clears throat> historical king, Gilgamesh, who ruled... Um, what is now Iraq? Back then, it was called Sumer- Sumerian Uruk. Uruk, Uruk. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure somebody will correct me on that. But um, and that's that supposedly the oldest written story known, and was um, around the time uh, of the ancient Greeks, which kind of comes to your point right there. Um. Oh, yeah, about Piranesi and that. Yeah, because you were going to make a connection right there to the ancient Greeks. Yeah, I do. I wanted to say I I don't. I uh, also haven't read the Epic of Gilgamesh, but I do sort of know the general uh, summary. Um, It's essentially like 
the hottest, richest asshole, like total douchebag, <laughs> ruled. Oh, that's, like, that's literally that's what they say about Gilgamesh was that he was so hot, he was super strong, he he was a genius, uh, but unfortunately he was a total prick and like was cruel to his subjects and like you know was forcing laborers to build all of his magnificent towers and yada yada and essentially the the gods send uh enkidu um this wild man uh who is just as hot and awesome and dope as gilgamesh but not (laughs) as much of a prick um and he just comes into the city and becomes gilgamesh's best friend and then fucking dies so the gods sent a sleeper agent in we're like yeah you love this guy don't you we killed him in front of you idiot go learn from your ways and then he did and so gilgamesh goes and and like travels the world essentially and records his epic on these stone tablets which is where we get the book from Um, right it is sort of one of the oldest stories of all time right so yeah so i I just um because you know you and i talked about stuff we'd read and and little bits of research we'd done prior to uh talking about this but so like you said that was put on stone tablets and that was like uh 2700 years before common era or before christ depending on which way you want to look at it and then the ancient greeks about 1,000 years before Christ or before Common Era, um, started sharing their myths and legends. And then 700 years before Christ, before Common Era, I don't mean to be repeating myself. Sorry, I just, you know, trying to No, you, I mean, you're all right. But around that time, um, three year, 300 years after the ancient Greeks um, was the first actual printed story of that epic of Gilgamesh. So, Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. Um, I could, I could go. Uh, do you want me to? Do you want to talk a bit more about the ancient Greeks, George? Before we? Yeah, I do okay. want to talk about the myth. Thank you. I appreciate you keeping space for that because this was like the thing that I got all excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, was like. We were talking about Piranesi, and I, I uh, have read a few other books that I'll I'll bring up later on. Um, that I just love for their mythic quality, right? And so I wanted to look into the different types of myths and sort of how myths functioned. And like you said, they served such a great purpose for the Greeks, right? They tell these stories kind of constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are three different types. Um, This is just some stuff I found online. There's like a lot more um, research being done into mythology just because the way that it works is so complicated. And it's also sort of like a, you know, I I feel like there's not a ton of money in like literary uh, history studies, like in the right ways. But anyway, but there are these three uh, classifications for myth that I found online. Um, there's etiological myths, sometimes spelt with the sexy A in front of the E at the beginning, if you want to oh, be like yes. that. Etiological. Um, I like that word. Etiological. Yeah, it's it's essentially like explaining why something is 
the way it is today. So that could be natural, etymological, or religious. So like there is a a concept that um, Lady Aphrodite was born out of the rain because the word aphros in Greek means rain. That's a really shaky one, and I don't think it holds up to anything. But that's like a, <laughs> that's an example. Um, but so like this is explaining something that we don't understand in nature or in our language or you know religiously like this is also connected to the greek gods and their presence in greek culture as a whole um the second form of myth is a historical myth it's just a telling of a historical event so that they can you know retain the memory of it so it's Um, less of an explanation then Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's not. There's not a bunch of accuracy once you start telling historical myths. No. Like, um, yeah, kind of weird. Um, uh, you know, I always think you know, history starts with H I S. Is just saying. Oh, okay. Well, when you're okay. talking about you know, accuracy with historical writing, you know, and it. Oh, and certainly. Obviously, yeah. it depends who's writing it, but for. A very long time, most of the time, history was being written by men. So, yeah, yeah, just saying. Absolutely. I was just, I was trying to wind up a good enough way to clown on you for essentially making the. I think it should be called her story. Her story joke. No, which I mean, is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, you but know. you're right. No, you are absolutely correct. And like, you know, there's a lot. There's a whole bunch of like patriarchal views in greek society in like ancient greek society hold up I'm not trying to shout out present day greek greece no i can't oh dang greece, anyway greek? so the third type of yeah the third it. type of uh <laughs> myth is a psychological myth so it's essentially Ooh. like people trying to explain their emotions because shocking like we've only really begun to understand psychology in a way that can be like healthy and helpful over the past like 20 years maybe 40 50 years oh, I um, don't know. but 20, so i think i uh, no actually probably only five minutes the last five minutes i've started to understand my own psychology but go on wow well that's just... just a huge i feel like we should cancel this episode because i feel <laughs> you should be we should be celebrating that's such a huge <laughs> also i wonder what part of the myth talk did it was it like oh man we're really been around since 30,000 BC. I'm so fucking old, man. <laughs> I'm become self-aware. <laughs> anyway. <all>. Go on. <laughs> no, no, that was... So those are the three types of myths, right? And they're just basically stories to be told to explain why things are the way that they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and... and I That's what I like about it. Because we talk about the importance of stories and, like sort of what they do for us and it's Mm -hmm. just imparting knowledge you know you can you can pass on so many things through the course of a narrative um and sometimes problematic uh, problematically problematically to your point earlier right like when the same people are writing all of the narratives they are gonna look really homogenized and that's not always great yeah true And and i think you know we use um different kinds of narratives to try and explain different things as well. I mean, you just look at all the things that I told you when you were a child that, you know, weren't particularly accurate. Like, you know, there's somebody who comes and takes all your leftover teeth and leaves you money. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm Got, sure. Venture capitalist early. Sell yeah, parts yeah, of your body yeah. and you can so we do, do, get we, sodas down the corner shop. Even informally, we do it. I mean, some people might not, but, you know, I think as, as parents, we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the cautionary tales, right, that makes me want to talk about the urban legend thing so do we want to talk really quick about like the transition from narrative sure. from uh, an oral st- storytelling to so uh, elsewise yeah if i just do a quick rundown of the way that sort of it's developed over the millennia there's a big word um so we started off you know, talking about R at the end of it we talked about cave paintings. We talked about stories written in stone and then the first printed um, stories. And then um, sort of jumping that forward. Was, so that, that was take, the epic of Gilgamesh, right? Yeah. That was the first printed one. Nice. That cool dude who was probably so pretty. <laughs> Total um, a-hole. That guy we all know who's too hot for his own good. Yeah. yeah Why don't you yeah. fuck off and travel the world, Chad? <laughs> Yeah, they don't know, do they? Those people who think they're like all that and a cup of tea, they just like hang around and go where they like. It must be great. Anyway, um, so then we we continue with the development of written narratives or written storytelling, which goes sort of from a couple of hundred years before Christ and keeps going all the way through, you know, the late 20th century um you know into the 1990s but even then you know we'd started to see um or i can remember seeing uh digital uh stories different kinds of narratives particularly um academic text and things that was accessible you know via the internet or documents online and things like that so you know early on you've got those printed stories and obviously they became more refined as time went by you know, newspapers and those kind of, um, uh, well, I mean, they weren't like narratives in the sort of way that we've been talking about stories, but for people to have access to any kind of reading material, it became more accessible yeah, as time went by. Evolution and, of distribution. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and also, you know, people saw... There was money to be made, right? In in books, in magazines, yeah. all that stuff. It it sort of, um, I'm sure, exploded in the sort of mid, well, maybe early. No, probably late 19th century and early 20th century. Everybody was, you know, reading something. Hopefully, you know, and, and I think, <laughs> I think, I hope, I hope that somebody was reading somewhere a long time ago. Why? Who knows? Um, but well, when know, was when was uh, uh, the Gutenberg press uh, created? <laughs> like the <laughs> <laughs> good question. Good guess. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like something like the fourteen hundreds, but it was so hard, like restricted to religious texts for a while, right? Well, yeah, like, and I think when you talk about like two hundred years. Before Common Era, it was um, focused, anything that was produced was focused on, on the art of the written word rather than what they were actually writing. Mm. Um, and then in the 17th century, I think they started talking about like 
fairy tales and you, you sort of have um, things coming out of France and different parts of Europe. And then in the seven, you know, following that time period around the 1700s, you got like uh, the growth of newspapers. Um, oh, yeah. And then eventually sort of the mid uh, 1800s, people started putting pictures, they, uh, photographic techniques were developed. So visuals were being offered with written text. And then I guess it just, you know, boomed from there. I don't want to, I could talk about this for ages, but I don't want to say anything that's factually incorrect <laughs> and sound like a tool. No, you're right. You're but, right. Man. I think you're doing a great job. But it, it, I mean, it's crazy to see. Yeah. The, the distribution is such a major part of it. Like, yeah, because yeah. we have, we have such gaps between like the beginning uh, like the cave painting time period to ancient Greece mm -hmm. is, you know, over 20,000 years. Mm -hmm. And then from then to printing press is another 2,000 years. Yeah. And then after that, in less than 500 years, we've got books. We've yeah. got like, you know, just y your, your corner store John Grisham novel. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's really I mean, wild. And isn't that one of the things they said that, you know, different areas of technology has developed? It's almost like it was, um, you know, when we're talking about cave paintings, they were climbing this huge mountain. They were climbing this huge mountain. And as they got closer to the top, you know, maybe you got the first printed words and then things got a bit easier as you got sort of closer to the... Um, 20th century and then they come down the other side of the mountain and all of a sudden you know the development of all these different um publishing opportunities just increase the speed increased yeah yeah and that yeah. that kind of brings us into the present um so i want to bring our timeline up a little bit okay. you know we're talking about obviously book distribution but the aside from I don't want to. I, I want to stop before we get into the uh, technology aspect of it, okay. um, and sort of bring back the myth thing uh, into okay. the present. Um, obviously, like something that died out um, recently, but I can certainly remember in my childhood was urban legends. You have these stories that aren't. You don't have like etiological. Um, myths anymore because we have science and yeah. you look like a bit of a prat if you if tell someone that the sky's blue because it's god's favorite color you oh, are yeah. gonna get absolutely dunked on in or the because playground. there was My somebody guy. who came along with a big roller and painted it blue yeah yeah i think i definitely remember telling some tall tales that granddad told me oh. in school and getting told you're a moron um, I think one time he flew in to see us and he was like, oh yeah, you know, the planes coming so close, I can feel the wheels on top of the car roof. Told that one in school and some little smart, I mean, this was like seventh grade, so who has the business spoiling Telling stories like anything. this? anything. Yeah. But yeah, some little assholes like, um, if he did that, uh, the car would have flipped over and he would be dead. I was <laughs> You know, crying. it's funny. Anyway. You're bringing this up. I just remembered something. When I was a kid, um, 
I used to think that, and this isn't really an urban myth, but it's sort of like a, mm. I obviously didn't know my science, but I can be remember being in elementary school and watching the clouds while we were out on the playground and thinking that was the world turning, you know? The, re- the, the reason it looked like the clouds were moving was because it was actually planet Earth turning around on its own axis. But yeah, all right, I wasn't that smart. <laughs> but obviously there were, <laughs> there were smarter kids in my class. And I remember this one boy said to me, uh, that's just the wind blowing the clouds. And I was like, <laughs> you fuckwit, how dare you? But he was yeah, right. Yeah. You ru- ruined the magic for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, I thought I was actually like feeling the earth move, this little tiny girl on this <laughs> little tiny spot on this giant planet. Anyway, so, yeah, go on I anyway. Love that. Yeah, so so we don't get to have etiological myths anymore. That is squashed out by cynicism and pricks on playgrounds. Um, <laughs> but we do still have sort of... Uh, historical myths and psychological myths in that we have these widespread cautionary tales right like there were so many stories in the 80s and 90s about some slasher coming up on the car some like steamed up car of a teenage couple on makeout oh, point God, yeah who who hear the here's the hook dragging on the car metal or something really it's just i mean you can it's it's a pretty transparent uh message to just try and make kids be abstinent and not you know get public indecency charges Mm -hmm. um but stories like that still serve very much as uh hey this is how the world is and you might not experience it any other way until it's too late so we're gonna warn you that this is a possibility. So do and I kind of like that. It's it's interesting. Well, so do you think that those things grow out of, um, you know, ancient mythology where parents, adults, people in positions of authority were trying to keep children safe by scaring the crap out of them so they didn't do anything stupid? Well, I, I don't know if I'd say it's as specific as that just because I don't know like when does sort of that authoritative view over the youth become like a a socially accepted, like, you know, cops and police and and parents, like, I don't know. Um, But I, what I was going to say is I do think to a certain extent, that this is connected to the original mythology we were talking about. And it's like, it really is more akin to fairy tales. You know, we could do, I think we might do a whole another episode just on like the brothers Grimm because that's so much to talk about. Um, But, you know, you see these cautionary tales being told of, like, children being stolen away or, like, replaced by changelings and the fairies coming to, like, steal from your farms and stuff like that. And it's, maybe it's fear-based, but it's it's a little bit of, like, padding for your understanding of the world. Um, and I think in local communities especially, because we don't all have experts who are there to tell us you know, how momentum works with airplanes. We can get away with telling some of these more uh, outrageous 
um, tales, which I think is is sort of the urban legend experience, right? You've got like the Jersey Devil or or the Chupacabra, or, like you know, there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that is like, oh, these are monster stories, um, and we do drift a little bit into horror, which might take me on to the next thing I want to talk about. But I wanted to stop and ask you if you had anything you wanted to add first. Well, I did want to say, um, as I've said before. Time is racing on. Um, I. Oh, we're all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was thinking about the questions I was pondering before we started recording, and um, so we talked about how it started. I think you know people started telling stories or recording narratives, whether using illustrations or um, writing them down or sharing stories orally, um, because they wanted to record what had happened to them, what their experience was, what their people's stories were. And we talked about Mm. who did that first. And the only other question that I had before, because I know you've got some more you want to add, but is um, what, so we talked a bit about how it speeded up with technology, you know, the use of narratives and people's access to um, narrative text. Um, why do you think that people buy into it so much? I mean, particularly when you start talking about things like urban myths or even just um, ancient mythology, why why do people want it? Why, why do we, you know, what is the draw? Is it because we need to be sort of like um, pacified with explanations or warnings or, you know, or whatever? Or is it just because it, it somehow fe- feels a part of our it feeds like a part of our brain and a need in our brain you know like for something more yeah you know i i think there's certainly a pacifying effect like it it helps us understand things and that does bring calm just Mm -hmm. because you know like to not know there is like fear there but i also it's really a lot about perception um you know, it, it sort of helps us house uh, something that we're witnessing or that we're experiencing. Um, there is a lot to be said for the ability to conquer trauma by doing something like that. Um, but also in like a sort of closer to the way that the ancient Greeks were doing it to explain their worlds, you know, you can look at um, like the people of Hawaii. They have a lot of myths uh and stories that they tell about like the way that the world was shaped and the way that the islands came to be and even like with limited understanding of that culture from the outside like you can see sort of oh it's it's people responding to their environment yeah and speaking a part of their view of it into reality you know it's very it's very powerful in a lot of ways that i'm not smart enough to explain (laughs) i think (laughs) okay that's my take so that was just i I just wanted to sort of uh spend a little moment thinking about that particular question and then um go on to some of your uh shares things that you wanted to share about um either mythological narratives or books that you think fit into this maybe well so one 
so Piranesi, I'm not going to talk about too much because I don't want to spoil it for you. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about is a book by Madeline Miller uh, called Circe. It's a retelling of the story of Circe, the witch from Greek myth. Um, it is a phenomenal book. I burned through it really, really quickly. Uh, and it is like full of this woman's suffering and like it really recontextualizes the role that she plays in the myth like it it is when when you put yourself in the shoes of the person not at the center of the original telling going back to your point about uh like male centric storytellers mm-hmm. um or or narratives being left behind um it's it becomes very obvious how much it should be Cersei who is the main character of this story like or at least that she deserves a myth all her own um and I also think of it as like you know it's there's a lot of I don't want to say education but like there's lessons to be learned from it in the same way that I sort of interpreted messages from the first time I heard ancient Greek myths Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to ping that just in case uh, anyone hadn't listened, hadn't read it and and wanted to give it a try. The other thing I just wanted to shout out for the present moment and looking at sort of digital storytelling and the way that horror really still transfixes us um, is just creepy pasta. Halfway creepy bringing what? that up hey. just because, yeah, exactly. It's fun to say, and I know it makes you laugh to hear it. Um, it does, but it's. It's essentially just like the spread of urban legends and or horror narratives by a like digital forums and and all online um, housing systems. It, 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 I think it's very fascinating. I would love to do like more research before talking about it too much because it's. I think there are a lot of moving pieces, but. Yeah. Um, it is another way that I see like myths proliferating and sort of the ability to maintain a community based narrative, even without a physical local community. So, and are they, these stories, cause I don't know anything about what's it called? Creepy pasta. It sounds like a really um, dangerous culinary situation, but um, yeah, it's what I eat on Halloween. For yeah, my yeah, dinner. yeah. I'm sure. But uh, is it uh, is it something that's shared through a specific like platform online or anything? Is it through blogs? Is it through websites? Is it through um, podcasts? What is it? Anything? So, or am I putting you on the spot? And we can come back to it. No, 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 no. It, it's it's a little bit hard to argue which one was the first one, right? Like, okay, in the early nineties, you had or not the early 90s, but, like, in the 90s, you would get, like, chain emails on internet forums and stuff like that that told, like, horror narratives. Um, But then there are other, like, stories posted, like, in the early 2000s on uh, websites like Angel Fire. Um, it's, It's a little... It's a little nebulous as to where exactly they started from um but they they sort of 
posted on websites like Angel Fire, places like 4chan, um, like web hosting, image boards, and stuff like that. Uh, web hosting, very good. Um, so you can find them don't. in all sorts of digital media, is what you're saying, or platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in the in the late 2000s, um, dedicated creepypasta websites started to come out so you can like go to creepypasta.com and read a bunch of horror stories um if you want to do that um so i i I have read a couple of them that you know there are some uh famous ones that i'm not gonna say just because i am looking at my computer right now and i don't want it to try and kill me okay um oh but i think that's what i've got on the present um did you have anything else before we look into the future real quick? No, not really. I mean, I was just thinking you said in the late 2000s, the year 2000, and uh, I was thinking, you mean in the noughties? <laughs> I just, just wanted to say that. I wanted to say the noughties. You literally just wanted to say the noughties. I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because people say, oh, back in the 90s, back in the 80s, and those are like, oh, those are numbers. But you say the noughties, it sounds something completely different. I just think it's funny. i hate to say you're not wrong it is quite funny yeah um and we don't have too much to talk about the future because the thing is like who can tell where myths will go i there's definitely a nightmare scenario where there are stories told around the campfire um uh, Mr. Burns's electric, oh, what's it called? Uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play by Ann Washburn is a story about the, like, a post-apocalyptic future in which people are just retelling Simpsons episodes to each other to try and, <laughs> like, stay positive. It's an amazing script. Uh, I remember reading that in school. That was so good. Um, um, also, um, but, something I just... Uh thought of as well is um and i know this is something that i first saw in like paper books where you could you know pick and choose endings you could choose where stories went depending on what oh yeah and and i know that there are virtual i haven't looked at them i'll be honest but i know there are virtual um sort of stories like that where you can sort of guide it yourself i don't know if you know anything about that so that that's a sort of, you know, modern development, if you like. Futuristic, yeah, yeah. Step forward. I tell yeah, you something I else. I guess... Sorry. Yeah, go on. Tell me. Well, like tell, were... tell me something else. Well, you were saying about the future and that, and I I often think about you know things that are going. Yeah, on the, in the future world. and that. The future and that. Um, you know, we've had sort of a turbulent sort of decade i would say the last 10 years has been quite upsy downsy on planet earth not just in the united states but all over and some people have had it worse than others let's be right you know it's uh, um what we call in back in england the postcode lottery you know determines where you live determines how bad your life's going to be unfortunately so it's luck of the draw but um i often wonder with all of those and i know it's happened already when you think of some of the most traumatic uh events that you can remember things like 9 11 people have written books and um made films and all that sort of thing but day by day when you know most recently the earthquake in um, syria and turkey how people are gonna narrate those events 
um, going forward. You know, that that's something that sort of interests yeah. me. Something really kind of dark uh, happening right now in Ohio, in East Palestine, a train was derailed uh, and the police blew it up like a beached whale and it has leaked hundreds of tons of chlorium. Let me make sure I'm getting this right before I... Yeah, so 20 cars of hazardous material... Jeez, Louise. Vinyl chloride. That's what it was. So uh, so hundreds of tons of vinyl chloride have uh, spilled into the surrounding environments, and people have like had pets dying just from the contaminants in the air. Um, the water is like fucked. Uh, and it is a little scary um, because the way that that narrative is being controlled seems pretty uh silencing and uh i hope that the people in east palestine get the help that they need they uh it's really obviously the same to the um people suffering in syria and turkey the yeah there's really so much it's so much everywhere you're really right the turbulence is absolutely and i, I just wonder if that that could be a whole uh like episode in itself really is uh because we talked about the history of narratives and, you know, how realistically with, with the development technology to the point where it is today, how much more control um, people who write about actual events, those, um, I can't remember what that word was, uh, what's it, myths, E.T., X-Y-Z-D, meliological. Oh, etiological myth to explain things that are happening <laughs> myth <laughs> yeah yeah but not myth. yeah no but, you're you're totally right how much control they have over what people hear and you know what people actually have access to you know and how that then reflects on the people who are experiencing it in the here and now anyway this is getting a bit heavy perhaps we should it is getting a bit heavy but you know it is a heavy time and i think it's not, it's good to talk about it mm-hmm. um i do think that's about all we have i know we've gone a little bit over time here but seriously uh, <laughs> thank you thank you so much for talking to me about it mom i like i i liked researching sort of how myths and narratives got started and uh i i agree i think it's important to keep an eye on who is in control of our narratives and and sort of when we are understanding objective truth for spun story um definitely sound like a conspiracy theorist just want to say we're not conspiracy theorists this isn't a joe rogan type of podcast um we're not going that way but it is you know to to uh speak to your point about history um it is always important that we know these things. And that's why we read. Yes, exactly. Um, Maybe also that it goes to um, what I was saying is why, why they've been a constant throughout human development is because of that, you know, that desire that we have to know and understand and, you know, maybe try and solve things. Yeah, maybe that's why. So we like to read things, stories. You know. Yeah, keep reading, 
keep telling stories keep telling each other about things that you've seen um be yeah. good to one another pass uh, your and literature will... down the generation yeah we'll see you next time ciao baby